Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Every once in a while on this program, we like to spend a few moments of airtime making sure that our listeners fully comprehend the true meaning of the term religious liberty. What is it? More importantly, what isn't it? Lincoln Steed is with us to help separate fact from pure fiction. Lincoln, let's begin with fact. What is religious liberty? Well, that's the topic for today, and and it means many different things to many different people in the United States. Very often when you say religious liberty, if they're uh, reasonably educated, they immediately think U.S. Constitution, Mm -hmm. First Amendment. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad beginning. But I can tell you, Canadians don't see it the same way. Like in the U.S., part of religious liberty or the dynamic to keep it is to keep the separation between the government and the church and to avoid government funding, sponsorship, and to allow free exercise. Some other countries... They want to protect a certain type of religion, but restrict minority religions. So they say they're for freedom of religion, but it means freedom of that particular religion. That's true. Other other people, uh, when they talk about religion and freedom, it's really more uh, tolerance. Mm -hmm. You know, where we're under duress, and and perhaps in these good times, we'll allow most faiths to, to continue, but... It's only under abeyance, and if there's any problems, then we'll clamp down because we're not really keen on your religious viewpoint. You know, and and these sort of variations get in the way all the time. I thought of this recently when I was listening to uh, two meetings. One of them were religious people that were speaking, and they said some wonderful things. One turn of phrase that I just love from one guy who's the leader of a Hispanic community, nationally known evangelist, and uh, he said, uh, we don't need to be uh, following the the donkey or the uh, the elephant. We need to be following the lamb. Mm. Oh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> but as he talked further, in my view, I saw echoes of sort of a, a, a Taliban mm-hmm. view of, of <laughs> what they want to do with America. We want a religious state that upholds our religious viewpoint. That could be problematic if you're not a Christian or a form of Christian that they don't care for, like as we saw in the fairly recent presidential elimination rounds where... Uh, Mormon uh, Romney, Mitt Romney, was accused of being a non-Christian and a danger to the state and so on. That's very regrettable from the point of religious understanding and and freedom. But anyhow, I heard someone else make a comment at that conference that the wall, they said that regrettable wall, Mm. the wall of separation between church and (laughs) state. Regrettable wall. Put put up by the First Amendment. Mm. They just slid by it. People, amen, amen. But to me, that was a very anti-freedom comment. But at another meeting, I heard uh, a leader of the Mormon Church, one of the Twelve Apostles, Apostle Oaks, and he gave a wonderful talk, but in the middle of the talk, he said that religious liberty is turned into uh, just uh, personal civil rights, and we need to fight against that. It isn't a matter of personal civil rights. It's a matter of uh, (laughs) of the particular viewpoints of my faith and your faith, he says, talking to the audience. They need to be protected. And in some countries, he's right, what he just said. Well, it's a half-truth, but taken the other way, he's created an exclusion zone. Thankfully, to this day, the U.S. 
legally, when, when you have a religious conflict, say, in the workplace, and you say that, that this is against my religious sensibility, against my conscience, they can't legitimately ask you, what does your church think on it? Is this really a stance of your church? That's irrelevant. Mm. So all that's enough to know is that you are deeply convicted as a matter of faith to act that way. Mm. And I think that's the best way to see it. It should be between you and God, not between the state and your church, because that rapidly devolves into what we had in the Middle Ages, where the, you know, the accepted church had negotiated with the state to uphold their, uh, you know, their particular set of beliefs. And then, of course, moving on from that, those that didn't hold to that would be in trouble. They'd be persecuted by both. Well, let me just do a quick aside here, then. You're saying that someone who is in a workplace situation where his, his religious beliefs are being tread upon, they need to come at this thing as, this is my personal feeling, as opposed to this is what my church teaches me? Absolutely. So that's important to know. It is a very important point. Yeah, yeah. Procedurally, I know uh, our church will often have the local pastor or, or a representative of the church write a letter to the employer or whoever, whatever authority they're dealing with explaining that this is a member in good and regular standing and so on. But it legally does not depend hmm. on them being in, in agreement with any church dictate. Because I remember when I was a kid, Lincoln, someone would say, why are you a vegetarian? Why don't you eat meat? And I say, because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Or why do you go to church on, on Saturday? Because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. That was the wrong answer for me to be giving. It really was. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad as a witness, right. but it's not. It's the wrong legal answer. It's okay. <laughs> uh, because you, you've passed the authority. The right answer is something to do with, I'm convicted by my reading of the Bible yes, and, yes, and, and yes. God's leading in my life that this is what he wants me to do. Okay, all right. Because right. uh, that's what will save you anyhow. Yeah, that's true. As, as that's far true. as the, the practicality. I mean, mm-hmm. again, it's a medieval model that you are under the uh, shadow of the church, Mm-hmm. and that the church will shepherd you from this world to the next. Well, we know that just belonging to a church is not spiritually... Uh, but it's very good, I think, that legally the U.S. really sees it that way. It's a matter of conviction. You know, I'm glad we're talking about this because there is a move afoot, and I'm sure you're very much aware of it, where people are saying, I want to be spiritual, but I don't want to be religious. I don't want to belong to a denomination or religious organization. What do you think this concept, this attitude, this movement is going to do to the whole idea of religious freedom, good or bad? Well, that's part of what Oakes was, was troubled about. The other part, and he was speaking in code, was that he didn't like the, the, you know, the gay movement, which yes. has seized on the civil rights mantra as its right for accommodation, and so we're more and more seeing a challenge between this new right of the gays and the old right of people of faith to hold a view on that, so mm-hmm. they're in clash. But he, he was also troubled, I'm sure, because the, the Pope and, and many uh, Protestant leaders have commented on the fact that sort of everyone doing what they, they feel right personally is breaking down the monolithic integrity of, of the old style churches. And it is. That's probably not all wrong, but yeah. it's, what, what I think it's heading us toward is where the state may end up becoming dismissive mm-hmm. of certain mm-hmm. uh, belief systems. Well, let me ask you this question directly, then. You work at the General Conference headquarters of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Are there moments within that building there in Silver Spring, Maryland, where the president or his crew are, are sitting around a table going, hey, we're still relevant, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here, I know. I better not speak to other people. There's moments where I wonder whether they, sh- they should ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, enough said about uh, that, all right. <laughs> 
Put it another way, I think uh, the Adventist Church or any religious body yes, needs to yes. be very self-critical. Why are they there? What are they doing? If they're just protecting their own turf, yeah. they've got it all wrong. And I think the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a strong biblical uh, base and origin. It has uh, indications of a prophetic charter. It has a message that's relating to here and now about events that we see every day in the newspaper that are, that are prophetically important, and they signal the soon return of Christ. So, I mean, that, that should lay out a very clear agenda for our church, and, and religious liberty uh, is both part of the theological model that we're advancing, and it's mm-hmm. also part of the protective mechanism that will enable us to, to give that message. So when you say turf, you mean mission. Yes, I, I said it quick, but yeah. I don't even remember the way I yeah, used pr- it. Protecting their own mission, protecting their own turf. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. I think I said it earlier about the the Mormons and and, and many of the established churches. They're under threat, not so much from other churches, but from, well, the Pope has spelled it out very plainly. It's secularism. Yes. But I think what he really means, if you, I've read some of his papers, it is they're not always secular people. They're people, as you said earlier, that have their own freelance spirituality that Mm -hmm. doesn't answer to any church description. It's Mm -hmm. just sort of a a free-floating sense, almost a... uh, superstitious view of, of spiritual values, because it's not necessarily tied to the uh, supernatural. It's just inner spirituality, a sort of a value system that is, is higher than the individual. And, and that's not in itself wrong. I think it's a little uh, short-sighted and it exposes those individuals to delusions. Mm-hmm. But the mainline churches see a great threat to this. I think there's the danger that they will then, in essence, turn on religious liberty, as happened in the Middle Ages, and use their influence with the government to chop down sort of freelance oh, thinking. Boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see how that can happen, absolutely. Yeah. So religious liberty needs to be reiterated all the time from a constitutional base in the U.S. There's nothing wrong with seeing it that way, but as I tell people, remember at root for a Seventh-day Adventist Christian particularly, it's not a constitutional model that we're following. It's a biblical model, and it's, and it's a universal model that goes back to, you know, God and his being and his creation and who we are as creatures of God, as free moral agents. It's something God's given to us. We are free under God, and and the first liberation was from sin Mm -hmm. that was cutting our potential. We owe our loyalty to God, and our witness on this world really is is to proclaim the freedom that God has given to us. I like that, because you're taking this and you're swinging it right back where it belongs, that religion, anybody's religion, really is a personal thing. It's between you and your God. Uh, If the church, if the state, if your neighbor, if anything comes in trying to separate you from that, that is breaking up religious liberty. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay. And we need to remember, and I hear our own church members say this, oh, you're protecting, or we need to you know, get religious liberty in a certain country. Yeah. No, it's, it's as, a, as a principle, it exists independent of states, good or bad. A state can make it hard to practice that liberty. Yes. But they, don't, they can't take it, nor can they give it. Mm-hmm. And, and as I've said, I know on this program before, it is good that in the Declaration of Independence, that was recognized. Whether it was recognized by Thomas Jefferson for the right reason, I don't know. <laughs> he had a very secular philosophical viewpoint, but... Yeah. You know, I spoke about self-evident, things that were self-evident, innate. And, and when you're talking about religious liberty, I think that it does derive from God. It's nothing to do with the state structurally. 
All right. interact with the state and put it into uh, practice, and the state can inhibit or facilitate what we already have. That makes sense to me, Lincoln Steed, as most of the things you say on this program, they make make very good sense to me. I hope our listeners get at least a little understanding of it. I'm really trying for a philosophical explanation as well as just a factual reiteration of some of these great principles. Very good www.libertymagazine.org is the website listener. If you'd like to follow up on this, you can leave information there, questions and comments to Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, right there on uh, libertymagazine.org. You can also subscribe to the magazine, listen to these programs, listen to this program, share them with other people, and of course, subscribe to the magazine and share them with uh, people in your community as well as your governmental leaders. That's all at libertymagazine.org. Lincoln Steed, editor, thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. Today.